And we're off. Greetings, Patrick Devaney. Welcome back. Welcome back to you. Hey, thank you so much. We're back together. That's right. I, uh, we're better together. We are. It's like, Just like banana pancakes. <laughs> <I'm> t- <laughs> I might be mixing metaphors there. That's all right. I love Jack Johnson. Patrick just told me that I'm a narcissist. That's right. Which is true. That's right. And I, I fo- actually... I, I followed up saying uh, after your book, after our book podcast, that maybe you should look into leaving. Yes. <laughs> yes. Maybe you should. Someone told me yesterday, and I've heard of this, there's that... Did you tell me about this? Someone else told me though yesterday. I think you've told me about this too. There's a podcasting about Mars Hill. No. So Mars Hill is, I think it's in Portland, but it's a big, or maybe Washington, I forget where it's at, but it's a, it was a big Protestant church and the lead pastor, a guy named Mark Driscoll, was like the bee's knees. That's not a term I use often. Oh yeah, I like that. But he was a big deal in the Protestant world. And there's a podcast on the rise and fall of Mars Hill that I have to listen to. I'm actually oh, interested in listening to it. That was but not it was me, similar to what you just brought up a minute ago before yeah. we came live about narcissism and pastors. Yeah. And it's definitely a huge temptation. No question. To be clear, I did not call you a narcissist. That's true. But do you know where uh, narcissism comes from? And I did not ask from? you to leave. The, the, uh, pagan... the Greek, uh, it's Greek mythology and nar- narcissist. Narcissist. Yeah. Narcissist. Yeah. That's right. I thought that was so crazy. Who fell in love with his own reflection. That's right. I mean, we've all done it. Do you know what else was a rad story? I've never understood. I thought that was funny, but you didn't. I, <laughs> I well, my, my brain was working and I, uh, I also learned um, Pandora. I'm not a Greek mythology guy. Yeah, I, you know, I don't know it as well as I should. I only know like the very, Same. like not even like the surface level, like not even that deep. I think it was Zeus. I, I don't know. Create, someone created or whatever. Pandora. Okay. Because they knew that that was going to like ruin the world. And Pandora showed up, opened a box, brought out all the evils. Yeah, the problems in the world. All the problems in the world and shut the box before hope. And then everyone oh, was scared. Yeah, everyone was scared after they have seen what's in the box, they shut it off. And when you oh, open wow. Pandora's box, you're afraid to open it again because you're like, dude, it just, the world is chaos when I open this box. So I don't want to talk to that person because it's Pandora's box. We should do a podcast sometime on hope. As you know, oh, about a, probably a month ago, <clears throat> I finished that poem that I was reading, the Charles Piggy poem. And everybody makes fun of it because it sounds like Piggy, yeah, I, <laughs> but it's Charles Piggy. Time out. I, it's, first of all, I did not know you were reading a poem. Yes, you did. I, I told did you not. about this. No, you did not. Oh my God. I'm just back to work. I swear I've not. I, life, I would have people. definitely been intrigued and had a conversation about a poem. What do you mean you finish it? Aren't poems like three lines? This is a 120 page poem. Oh. But it was- it's, it's, What did it say? Yeah, I know. That's <laughs> not a poem, man. <laughs> We're gonna you don't go to open mic night and listen to some dude rattle off a 123 page Here, poem. Here's what I would say though. Like I think I think poetry it takes a certain we're gonna be we're way off topic. This we is are, all my it's fault. Awesome. This is all my fault. I apologize to everyone listening. But I think that we there's many things that mitigate against poetry in our time. So we're oversaturated with entertainment and music and kind of cheaper forms of these things. But I will say this: I've never liked poetry. Yeah. Like my whole life, I never liked poetry, but it's because I wasn't reading good poets. And I think, and I think, and part of it also, I think was some of the stuff they give you like in high school and then college, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you're, you're like 18 That's right. and you just don't appreciate anything of real depth. You want to, you want to look cool and be deep and, but you're not, you don't have, you haven't lived enough life to really appreciate poetry. The only time you appreciate poetry, if it's, it's like the way you're asking the girl to prom. Yeah. I did that. I did that in high school. Oh, it's so embarrassing. But it was like the uh, poster board that had like, "Will you be? You're you're a hundred grand. Will you be my Snickerdoodle and go to prom? Like, and you put the candy bar and join and fill, my band. That's right. Like you like fill in the the poem with the candy bar oh. on the on the poster board. I crushed it. Um, you crushed it. But Charles Charles Piggy. So. Oh, one more, one more just reference. Yeah. We'll get, I promise we'll get to our topic, but I think modern poetry, we think of, did you ever see So I Married an Axe Murderer? No. You didn't see that? No. Oh, dude, you like, 
I think of you as not that much younger than me, but you're significantly younger than me. But we got to watch that sometime. Okay. And what you, Mike Myers, that's a classic movie. That's like a classic movie. Definitely 90s never saw movie. it. Mike Myers in that movie, he's always, he's like a serial dater and okay. he's scared of commitment. And, he, and all these scenes in the movie, it's awesome. Some of you out there know this. You know what I'm talking about. He's in this beatnik poetry club that he goes to regularly. And his poem, he always like half speaks, half sings it. Yeah. And it's always about a breakup with a girl. And he's got, there's a guy with an upright bass and just does like a bass line on yeah. the upright bass. And he, he's like, Harriet, oh, Harriet, <laughs> hard-hearted harbinger of, harbinger of haggis. How do you know this? Oh, I, movie lines, man, they stick with you. So anyway, but the, the Peggy poem is not like that. And this is my point. The poetry that I think a lot of us either were, either we weren't in a place where we could really be mature enough yep. to understand poetry. Or we didn't get the really good poetry. Right. I just read this. And the reason I bring it up is because you said Pandora's box, they close it before hope comes out. Yeah. So the poem I read is called The Portal of the Mystery of Hope. And it is one of the most beautiful, powerful things I've ever read in my life. We'll have to talk about that at some point. But okay. It's, he personifies hope as a little girl. Whoa. And it's this little girl who's always taking you places because hope carries us to different places in life. Oh, that's dope. And it's and there's there's way more to it, but we won't get into it. So. I love it. Um, it's funny when when I think of like the poetry, I think you're spot on. I lump poetry into the same category as Did Bach. You say category. I did. I stumbled. <laughs> I I apologize to everybody. Uh, category is like Bach and Gregorian oh, the, chant. Yeah, like the greatest things that have ever been. That's produced right. By it's all you know. Um, I wouldn't define it that way, but it also, um, I, I think of it, um, when I think of the poetry is what's the Robin Williams movie where it's, Oh, captain, my captain. I never saw that. Oh, it's, uh, Oh, oh no, I did. That's Dead, oh, that's Poets, not, Society. Yeah, Dead Poets. Yes, I did. That's that. right. And like, that's kind of what I, you know, you're in a cave reading a, a poem. And it's like, Oh, captain, my captain. And like, oh, captain, my captain. And you like, I don't know. Um, but it also, I think to that point, I think my shout out is, Father Sean last week on the podcast. Father Sean Conroy, the Nephilim. Hey, it was, he's fantastic. Um, but he, I was thinking about it today, actually. He, he had made a joke about, or not a joke, but he was telling a story for himself in high school where he got rid of his like sound system in his car because um, he was listening to certain music and this and that. And I was cracking up of like, I still thoroughly enjoy that. Like I like am not Puff daddy. Yeah. Like I'm going to roll in listening to Jay-Z and Puff Daddy's greatest hits. Nice. At Lords. But, um, I still am like working my way to, uh, maybe at one point I would want to read a 123 page poem. And maybe at one point I would love to, um, go into my office and turn on some Bach, but as, and burn incense like you do. Um, but as Don't of now, I think I'm good with my, <laughs> Yeah. Right now I'm good with my pumpkin spice candle uh -huh. and some Mumford and Sons. Yep. And let it rip. Yeah. It's I got to work taste. my way to poetry. It's an acquired taste. And it was the same way for me. Okay. I, but here's, but we're going to jump. We got our topic today. That's right. Uh, and so. Do you have a shout out? Do I have a shout out? Um, I don't know if I have one off the top of my head. Oh, come to Which you. sounds bad. Oh, come to you. Oh, come You're to on me. the spot. I'll have to think about it. But anyway. Today, what we have to talk about, we are going to talk today about vocations and states of life in the church. Dun-dun-dun. Which I know you've all been waiting for this. This is your like, oh my gosh, when are they going to talk about hashtag free Britney? That's right. And How did you know that? Hey man, yep. I stay up on things. <laughs> yeah, I, know, I know about popular culture. I'm That's hip. right. I'm so cool. So, you know, they're like, everybody's like, when are you going to talk about Britney's conservatorship or whatever it's That's called? That's right. And um, we'll get there. When are you going to have Dr. Fauci on the show? Yes. And when are you going to talk about Christian states of life? Oh, there it is. Yeah. Out People of, are burning for that, I think. I, well, you know what's funny? Again, um, most things that are <laughs> in the uh, church world is like the titles are always like, what the, what does that even mean? And then when you dive into it, you're like, oh, 
this is really good. Like, yeah. yes, why why does that exist? But like Catholicism especially has such like bizarre old school names for things. And yeah, like, it's true. You know, that you it's hard to grasp. Yep. So I've got a bone to pick. I love Not it. with you so much. Oh, dang. I, I'll, I'll think of something to pick with you. But, yes. But if you're out there, this is one of my big, it's kind of one of my big pet peeves in the Catholic world. And it's something I think we should change. But my bone to pick today is I don't like the word vocation. Oh, yeah. And I, I, and very seriously, I think it's theologically improperly used 99% of the time by Catholics. And, uh, and I think it causes great problems in the church. The way that we use it currently in current usage, people can disagree with me, but I'm going to, I'm going to tell you my, my little rant. Yeah. I, I, I mean, today. help me understand that. Like, what do, what do so you mean by that? Cause I want to, you know, I think the first time I heard vocation in the Catholic church, I thought they were talking about a vacation. Yep. I've never once used the word vocation in normal life yes. until I was confirmed. And I yes. still don't really use it. You were using it, but in, I hear it in juxtaposition with staycation. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So I'm, I'm somewhere, I hear it and I think of Hawaii, but I don't think of my marriage as a vocation. Okay. Interesting. I don't think you're, no, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to say that. I was going to be mean, but I'm not going to be mean. So, so do you, do you have, do you know what the word vocation generally refers to in Catholic circles? I don't, I don't have like a good grasp on it. We've never talked about it. I would assume just based on the, how I've heard it used is more like a, um, your path in life almost. Yeah, that's good. Destiny, uh, not destiny, but like, a this is who you're going to be for the rest of your life. Yeah. I think that's a good way to say it. Thanks. So man. the, you're welcome. Have a good weekend. You're kind of a big deal. Thanks. <laughs> Ralphie's proud of you. Oh, that's a whole nother story. Have you but, seen Ralphie this year? No. Baby size. Small, oh, new, awkward. new Ralphie. New Ralphie. New Ralphie. Um, it's not as intimidating as what it should be. Anyways. So vocation comes from the Latin word as a verb in Latin. So the infinitive is vocare. And so vo- vocare is a Latin word that means to call. Hmm. So, so a vocation is your calling in life. Boom. So for instance, sometimes when people don't go to college, they'll talk about vocational schools. Yes. And so in, in a broader cultural sense, they'll talk about go learn a trade, you know, go learn how to weld, yep. uh, go learn how to be a mechanic, go learn how to be a woodworker. And they'll talk about those as trade schools or sometimes vocational schools. And kind of saying, you know, this is your calling in life is the idea behind that. In a Catholic sense, though, we tend to think of vocations in a, in a broad sense as either marriage or a calling to the priesthood or consecrated or religious life. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times people, when they say, hey, we, we need more vocations, what they generally mean to that by that is they mean priests. Yeah. They say, we, we need more priests, which is always true. So today I want to go after that a little bit and I want to talk about how I don't think that those, I think those, the word, although it has a certain validity, that there is, it's imprecise. And I think it's caused havoc and problems in the modern church. Let's dive in. Let's dive in. Where would you go with that? How, like, how so? So, so uh, today's podcast is sponsored by Hansers von Balthasar. <laughs> right? Uh, we, don't really have, we don't really have sponsors. If you want to sponsor us, I don't really know what that would go toward. Maybe the school. To the school. Uh, Swag, pay Ryan. There, I mean, there's a few things. Yeah, we'd, we be, we'd Ryan, be open. We get Ryan like a new car. That's right. Yeah. He deserves it. But anyway, so Balthazar wrote a very important book uh, for, for the life of my community, but I just think it's an important book in general. It's called The Christian State of Life. And Is it a poem? It's, it's not a poem. Okay. It's not an easy read, though. Oh, gosh. Yeah. It's, <laughs> Neither are poems. Anyways. Yeah. And, and so, so I think the, the juxtaposition here that I want to get to is that I think it's better for us to talk about states of life. And so a state uh, really derives from the Greek word stasis, which means a stand. Okay. And not just a stand of like you set something on a stand, but it's like where you stand. Where Got do you it. take your stand? Where do you find yourself in life? 
but the but the state of life comes from that Greek word stasis, which means it's where we get the word static. Um, hmm. but it means a stand. Okay. And so something that's static is the opposite of something that's static is something that's dynamic. And so static means kind of stale, it stands, it's not, you know, it's not moving. And so it's stable. That's where we get the word stable as well. It's um, something that's kind of permanent and stable. Okay. So here's the thing. So Balthazar, I think, is really helpful in his treatment of this on multiple, multiple levels. And we won't get to all of it today. But the first thing he says, and then here's why it's a problem. So instead of giving you a book report today, I don't want to just do that. But I want you to think about this. So in my office all the time, and I think in broader, more broadly in the Catholic world, one of the big complaints that's out there is that we have all these things for married, we have programs for married couples, programs for kids, programs for families, programs for engaged couples. But people who are not either married or in religious life, how do they feel about their kind of status in the church? Left out? Yeah. Yeah, I think, exactly. They, they very frequently feel like somehow they're lesser. Okay. Right? Like, and what they'll say is, well, I'm not in my vocation. Yeah. And so, and so they feel a little bit, I think, like blown by the wind. Yep. A little bit like, I don't know what my purpose in life is right now. I'm just waiting for, right. you know, Mr. Wright to come along or Mrs. Wright. Something like that. Yeah. And I do think this is, this is part of the problem of uh, the language around vocation in the church right now. Okay. Okay. So there's that. Balthazar says, the calling of a Christian and every Christian, married, priest, religious, consecrated, whatever you are, the real calling of the Christian and the first chapter of his book is called The Call to Love. And so Balthazar, he starts off The Calling to Love. And he starts off with uh, the, the quote from Matthew, Master, which is a great commandment in the law? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so Balthazar has this great line where he says, in these words, Jesus summarizes the ultimate goal and indeed the very meaning of existence. And he, he goes on, I would love to read this whole book to you because it's so good. Um, if we would enter into life, if we would fulfill our calling, we must keep the commandments. But the commandments are so completely contained in the dual commandment of love of God and love of neighbor that whoever keeps this commandment on which the whole law and prophets depend has done all that is necessary. So here's the thing, right? The whole purpose of our life, the, the real call that God puts on us, yep. right? It's not something you invented yourself, right? That's part of the nature of a call. Okay. Is, is not for you first and foremost to be married or to be a priest or to be a sister. Yep. It's for you to love God with everything you've got everything. And so th this is the starting point I want to, I just want to get to is that that is the calling of the entire body of Christ. Yep. Every single Christian, if you've been baptized, if you have faith in Jesus Christ, the call that God places on your life is that everything, everything you have is meant to belong to him. Does that make sense? Yep. And so I think what happens though, is people think, well, yeah, I know I'm supposed to love God, but it kind of feels a little bit like the way your mom loves you. Yeah. And you think until I've been called into a state of life and they don't, people don't use that language. So a permanent state of life means what you and Steph did on June 20th. Well played. Actually done. Yeah. Very good. Yes. It, yeah. June 20, 2020. June 20, 2020. Right. That's a good, that's easy to remember. Yes. But it's permanent. Yeah. It's not. So the states of life are meant to be permanent states of life. And so the, the Balthazar would contend, and most of us would, that 
the state of life, there's no, there's no single state of life that's, that's a, that fits in the same category. So if you're just, if you think you're supposed to be married and you're, you're, you're waiting kind of to find Mr. or Mrs. Wright, we have two of my professors, right, are the Wrights. Yeah. So they love to joke about that. Nice. Dr. Susan Sulner Wright and Dr. Terry Wright. And Susan will say, well, you know, I was just waiting for Mr. Wright. Nice. Nice. <laughs> I always think of that Walked one. right into it. Yep. But the Christian existence means that you and I surrender ourselves totally in a way that's given over. And so for, for that reason, the church doesn't really recognize when you're living as a single person that this is really a permanent Christian state of life. Right. And guess what? That's okay. Yeah. It doesn't mean that you're lesser. It doesn't mean that you are not um, as valuable as a priest or a married person. The call of the Christian is the call to love God with all your heart, all your mind, your soul, and your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Yep. And somehow I, you hear this all the time that people think, well, God, God must not have a plan for my life. Or he must, he must not love me because I haven't, things haven't worked out. And this misses the whole point. The calling of the church is to be the light of the world. Yep. It's to be the salt of the earth. It's to be the light that shines in the darkness. And then some of us find ourselves in permanent states within that. And some of us find ourselves where we're not in a permanent state. But that does not mean that you're not equally called to be the light of the world and the salt of the earth. Okay, does that make sense? Yes. <laughs> so a few clarifications and then... I want to run with this. So to, to circle back here, being single is or is not a vocation. It's not a vocation unless, it's not permanent. unless you're a consecrated single. So those, there are such things as consecrated singles in the church. Yeah. Consecrated virgins is usually what they're referred to as. And a consecrated virgin, what they've done is they, they might not be a part the, the distinction is they might not be a part of a religious order. Yep. So we think of the Dominicans. Yep. We have Dominican sisters here in Denver. They're amazing. I was in seminary. I was assigned to St. Vincent de Paul where they have the Dominican sisters. Yeah. And at one point in seminary, I told the guys, I was like, I think I just fell in love with a nun. <laughs> I don't know how old she is. I think she was like a lot older than me, but you can't really tell when they have those habits oh, on. Yeah. yeah. And they're just beautiful and they're joyful. And I was like, man, I'm in love with a nun. That's right. But, uh, so, but th those are members of religious orders. A consecrated single is someone who, uh, or a consecrated virgin, is someone who might live in the world. I know a couple of these. Yep. People who, they look just like you or me. They go to work, they have jobs, but they have taken, and we'll get to this in a minute, they've taken vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience. So they've made a permanent decision. That's what makes it different. Got it. They're not like, well, we'll see what happens. I'm waiting for someone to ask me to the prom. Yeah. They've said, I'm not going to prom. I'm, and not just because I'm scared I'm not going to get asked. What they're, what they're saying is, I will consecrate my life to Jesus, yep. and I will give him everything. A conscious and decision. And a conscious decision, and it's irrevocable. That's critical to it. Yep. So. So, <clears throat> candidly, like, all, like a lot of things Catholic, um, to a non-Catholic, that whole concept is very bizarre. Yes. Right? Very hard to wrap your head around. I think um, hearing what you just said, and when I, when I have heard, um, especially the singles, <laughs> I don't want to go there. Uh, if you focus your life on loving God and loving your neighbor, yes, right. The most attractive thing in the world is having that love resonate in you. And you're mm -hmm. a good person. You're focused on loving God and loving your neighbor. I feel like in the single world, all of a sudden, you like everyone wants to date you, right? When you're so focused on finding your husband, you're feeling left out. Your focus is in the wrong area, um, and therefore you feel you be you come across as needy, clingy, 
all that kind of stuff. And I feel sure. like in the Catholic world, there's so much, um, I mean, even in the Christian world, not even just Catholic, but there's this like, I think it starts um, maybe in the, you know, it could start here at Lourdes. Like at a, at a young age, you look at life and you're like, oh, I'm going to grow up. I'm going to marry somebody. The wife's going to stay at home, raise the kids. We're going to have eight kids. Like you build this picture of how yeah. it looks. Um, but I think what's so interesting too, is that when you talk about like states of that are permanent and how contrary that is to the world that like grasping your head around anybody that has made a commitment, like now marriage, it's, it's permanent in the Catholic world, but you have to understand why it's permanent. Most people look at marriage and say, well, if it doesn't work, I'll just we'll right. get divorced. I'm, I'm going to be divorced eight times until I find the one. So it's like, it's a very like big contrast. And especially I always like, to, I think about like the world where when everybody was Catholic, quote unquote, you have your different levels of how Catholic, but the world has gotten away from that. Yep. So I think it's, there's a lot of pressure. Um, and then you look at, you know, things we've talked about before too, is there's so many amazing um, women, single women in the Catholic world. Yep. And far fewer, there's just a less men involved. It's not a quality issue. It's a quantity yep. issue. Um, that is another whole, that could be a whole nother podcast. Yeah. And so I, <clears throat> there's so much here. There's so much right. to go on here, but I love this stuff. And part of it, <clears throat> I think this is actually at the heart of it. Early Christianity was what we call, it was, it was eschatological, which is just fun to say. There it is. Words. Another, another one. <laughs> right. Another one. So what, and what we mean by that, some people think that, and it was misread by a, a generation of scholars, a couple of generations actually, who thought that the early church really believed Jesus was going to show up in like 10 years. Interesting. And we have some Christians today who still think that. Yeah. But, but that's not really what the New Testament teaches. What the New Testament does teach though, is that with the resurrection of Jesus, we have entered into a different time in history. Yep. We, we, are, we are in the end times. And I don't mean that in the sense of like left behind or That's right. some fundamentalist kind of Christian dogma. What the, what the Catholic church means by that, and really what the New Testament means by that, is that the Jews expected the resurrection to come in the last age, in the end times. Yep. And it did. And so what happened is when Jesus rose from the dead, and I don't want to get into this too deeply, but the world changed. Yeah. And what, the, what the, the early church really believes and what we believe as Catholics, and this, this is at the heart of what, what Balthazar is getting at, is that when Jesus came and he became as the bridegroom of the church, he didn't come for us to obey and then someday go to heaven. He came to win us over to, for us to love him with everything we've got. And with his resurrection, everything's different. Yep. And so the early church had tons of virgins percentage-wise. Okay, so the, the early church had tons of virgins. virgins. Okay. Consecrated virgins. And this doesn't mean that you're literally physically a virgin necessarily, but it means that, you know, and Christ makes all things new. If you're someone who has a past, right? Every, every saint has a past, every sinner has a future. That's right. That is true. But it means that these people have renounced marriage. Yep. And the reason, part of why they've done this and there's, we, we, if we have time, we might get into this. Sorry. Uh, they have renounced marriage. Um, yep. So they're not married and they say, I'm never going to get married. Okay. They've taken a vow of celibacy. Yep. And part of why they've done this is because everything is different now. The resurrection has broken into this world and, and the real meaning of life, we now know what it is. The real meaning of life, because for most of us, the most natural and good thing on earth, I, you've heard me say this before, the best thing on earth is marriage. It's the best thing on earth. Maybe aside from children. There's yeah. a great line, and I almost used it in my homily last weekend. I forget which godfather it is. I think it's part two. Okay. But uh, Michael Cordelioni, I love it. I love you, Michael. That's right. Michael Cordelioni says, the only, the only true wealth in this world is children. Mm. I just think that's a great line. It's a great line. Yep. But essentially the early church, and for all of us as Christians, the, the greatest thing on earth is, is marriage and family. It's the yep. most important thing that exists on a natural level. But when Christ came and when he rose from the dead and conquered death, 
it woke people up to, oh my gosh, eternity's real. God has changed the world. Yep. And the the wedding of heaven is coming. And I can wait for that. Yeah. And I can and and so the but the key part is this. This is not like weighing pros and cons of like, well, and this is how a lot of people think about this when they're thinking about maybe becoming a priest or religious. What they're what they do usually is they say, Well, if I get married, there's there's some there's some benefits there. Get a beautiful wife. Uh, I get to have kids, little Gianna. I get to watch her play and grow up, which very honestly, that's nothing to stick your nose up at. I, we, I was over at Patrick's house a couple nights ago. Yeah. And that little girl already has like, she's got my heart already. That's right. You know, partially because she's not waking me up at three and <laughs> yeah. I don't have to change diapers. <laughs> I was having, I was like, great. Here's FB's romanticized version of marriage and, <laughs> and children. Let's hear it. This is it. Cause oh, I'll tell you what Steph's yelling at me. I, I, I would debate how great this is. Yeah. I always say, <laughs> you know, I, you know, I think this, I always imagine marriage is, you get home from work, you had a tough day, you're wa- you walk in the door and your wife says, she rubs your shoulders and she says, honey, how was your day? Like, right. And she has a glass of wine in her hand. She hands mm-hmm. you a glass of wine. She says, she gives you a kiss on the cheek. And she says, here, come, let's come sit. And right. Slugger jumps up next to you and you hold Gianna. Yeah. And you're just, all is right. And sometimes when I say that, there's different families in our community that will be like, that sounds amazing. It never happens, but that's, that sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah, that sounds great. I want you know. Uh, yes. Okay. Yeah. So keep going. So I think I think the big point though is that what the way people discern and, and Balthazar calls this the first division of the states of life. Okay. So the, so the church is a unity. The church is born of love. The church and Balthazar makes a big deal of this in the book. Is that every single Christian state of life. And even the ones that are not permanent, but even, but just being a baptized Christian, if you're a baptized Christian, if you're a Christian who receives the Eucharist, who's trying to live a life of, of goodness and obedience, every Christian state of life was born from the wounded heart of Jesus on the cross Yep. because the whole church was born from the wounded heart of Christ on the cross. So every one of us, and this is why at weddings sometimes kind of depends on who is there, but sometimes at weddings, I'll preach about how the cross is understood by the early church as a wedding hmm. because the, the Adam and Eve imagery, right? That the yep. bride of Christ comes from his wounded side, his pierced heart. But, but Balthazar's point is that's all of us. If the church came forth from the moment that God, that the son of God gave his life for the salvation of the world and out of love and obedience to the father, that moment is the moment that every single Christian existence was born. Mm-hmm. And so all of us, whether you're married, if you're single, if you're in a uh, consecrated state, if you're in a religious state, you were born from the cross. Yep. So, the, so there's a unity. So the, so the first calling is the call to love. Then Balthazar says there's a first division in the states of life. Okay. And so within that call of all of us from the cross to love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, then there's different ways to do that. And so the first, the first state that the early church makes a distinction between, and that really the New Testament does too, the, the New Testament calls it the way of the commandments or the way of perfection. Okay. And what this comes from is Matthew chapter 19. And so Matthew 19, or we just had this reading two weeks ago, I think. It's also in Mark chapter 10. This is the rich young man. Okay. And the rich young man says to Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And in Matthew's version, Mark's isn't as flushed out as Matthew's is, <clears throat> but in Matthew 19, uh, how does Jesus answer that question? Isn't it, uh, I'm going to get this wrong. Uh, get, rid of, get rid of your earthly goods. He does say that, but that's the every, it's, it's always interesting. I, I don't think I've ever asked someone where they haven't answered that way. And that's, yes. He does say that, yes. but he says something before that. Mm. I don't know, I was changing Gianna's diaper. I missed it. You were changing Gianna's diaper. Jesus says to the rich young man, he says, first he says, why do you call me good? There is one who is good. And it is God alone. If you would inherit life, eternal life, keep the commandments. Okay. 
Yep. Right. And Jesus walks through the, there's a lot here. He walks through the second table of the commandments, which traditionally in 10 commandments, there's, there's the two tablets, right. That Moses brought down and the traditional understanding <clears throat> is that the first tablet has all that has the first three commandments, which all relate to God. Okay. Um, I am the Lord, your God, you shall have no strange gods before me. Uh, remember the, uh, or you shall not take the name of the Lord, your God in vain. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. And then you get to the fourth commandment and it shifts towards our relationship towards human beings. Yep. So commandment number four, honor your father and mother. You shall not kill. You shall not commit adultery, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Jesus only lists the second tablet commandments from the second tablet in Matthew 19, which is interesting. And if we had more time, that might be a fun topic yeah, to talk about. What? Drop that bomb on me. Okay. But he says, okay, so keep the commandments and think about it this way. As a Christian, do you want to live the life of heaven? Do you want to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Keep the commandments. Yep. Obey those. And like an obedience is the obedience of love. We love God. And when you love God, we keep his commandments. Paul says that all over the place, uh, but that's in Romans eight, for instance. Um, but the, the rich young man comes back and he says, all of these I have observed from my youth. So he says, I've, d- I've done all that. Yeah. What still do I lack? And Jesus says, and again, this is a reading recently uh, in Mark chapter 10. Jesus tells us, he says, if you, he says to a rich young man, if you would be perfect, go sell what you have, give to the poor, come follow me. Okay. So is that So where where was the division? So the so the early church takes that passage and it says and it uses different language at different times. Yeah. Um it'll talk about the lay state as a way of saying the way of the commandments. So Jesus says, "Hey, you want to live the life of heaven to inherit eternal life? Obey the commandments." Yep. And that's perfectly legitimate. That is uh an excellent way to live a devout Christian life and to love God with everything you've got. But then the second thing he says is if, if you would be perfect. So the early church liked to call this the state of perfection. Got it. And so some of us, and this is, this is where I think it's so pertinent for today's world is that the way that we think of so, so the two ways are the ways of the commandments, the way of perfection. And notice if you're out there, the way of perfection is about the councils. So you know that you know what the councils are, the evangelical councils? Trent. Different kind of council. <laughs> I don't know. Yes. Different kind of council. Um, the evangelical councils are poverty, chastity, and obedience. Right? Yep. So that that's the, another way of saying the, the way of perfection is the way of the councils. Got and it. Think about those two words, a commandment and a council. A commandment is not a council. It's a, it's not advice. It's not, it's if. not up for debate. Yeah. My mom has that as it comes up time to time. My mom has that magnet yeah. that says the, the 10 commandments are not multiple choice. Right. Yep. Jesus is not giving self help here. He's not being like, Hey, you know, do your thing. That's but right. If you want, if you want my advice, don't worship false gods. Totally. Right, these are commandments, but the poverty and chastity obedience are not commandments. They're counsels. Okay. And so one of them is you must. The other one is, if you would, I advise this. Got it. So that's the first division. Okay. And here's why it matters. Today we talk about vocations. Yep. And what happens is you go to church. And you're like, you're 24 and you're a male and you have a heartbeat Yep. and you went to mass. <laughs> we always joke about this in focus. If you have a pulse and you're a male over the age of like 20 and you go to, you go to mass and you're not, you're somewhere between the ages of 20 and you know, 70. If you're not with a, with your wife or if you're not with a girl there, somebody's going to tap you after mass and say, have you thought about the priesthood? <laughs> totally. Totally. Yeah. So here's, here's the big point is that following Jesus and giving away all you have comes before priesthood. Ooh. 
before priesthood. And the early church knew this. So in the early church, you didn't discern priesthood. You discerned, it was a very simple question. And very honestly, this is what happened to me as a priest. I didn't, I didn't know this language then. I hadn't studied Balthazar. I didn't know theology very well. I didn't know any of this, but I will say that like, I didn't have the vocabulary, but I look back and this is what happened to me is that I knew somehow that I was supposed to lose everything I had for Jesus. I was much less certain about priesthood. And so from that, you're open to whatever comes. Exactly. And here's what happened. In the ancient church, wouldn't it be great today? And, and I talk too much as always today. In the early church, what happened was there was a large percentage. Not, you know, the early church was not big in terms of numbers like we are today. Mm-hmm. But percentage-wise, there was a very large percentage of people who said, I'm, I'm called to give everything for God. I'm called, and, and the way you do this, by the way, the way is, why are the councils everything? St. Thomas Aquinas answers this question. And he says, you have three good things in your life, three categories of things. Uh, and the first thing is things you own. Yep. And by the way, he says, these are all good things. So he says, the first council is, is poverty. And he says, you know, when you love someone, the, the language of love means you are willing to sacrifice things for them. Yep. So out of love for God, Aquinas says, someone might sacrifice the least of the three good things that we can have in our life. And that's material possessions. So poverty is the first counsel of okay. love. When you love, you want to give yourself away. We all know this, right? This is JP2 says this, yep. but this is the language of love. Love means I'm willing to give my life away for the one I love. So that's the first is poverty. The second one is the Aquinas says the second good thing you possess is your body, hmm. which is greater than any material thing, right? And we all know this because if someone said, I'm either going to take your car or your body, yeah. you'd be like, take my car. Here's the keys. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So your body is, is, is the second. And Aquinas says the greatest good, again, proof that the Catholic Church is not, um, uh, what's the word, uh, prudish about sexuality. Aquinas says the greatest good of the body is sexuality. He says that's the greatest good of the body. So the second thing, the second renunciation a person makes is chastity. Got it. And they say, because God, because I'm, I'm called to belong completely to you, therefore I'll renounce this because you're my everything. Okay. And the third is the hardest, which is obedience. Because the greatest good that we have, that we possess is our freedom. And so Aquinas says, but if you really love God, the third way you give, if you want to give your whole life to God, here's how you do it. You want to give everything away. This is what they, what the early church would see as a holocaust. A holocaust is the one sacrifice where nothing's left. There's all kinds of sacrifices in the temple you can offer. And with most of them, there's something left over and you have a barbecue. Okay. But a Holocaust offering, the whole body of the animal is burned and there's nothing left. And it's considered the greatest sacrifice because it's the most costly. And so the early church would look at this and say, this is the way to make your life a Holocaust is there's nothing left. Yep. So God, here's, here's everything. So my simple point is that what happened in the early church is people didn't say, I'm called to priesthood. What they did is they said, I think I'm supposed to give my entire life to God. And so they, they made these kind of renunciations. And from that group, this is what's so cool. From that group, the church chose who she wanted for priests. Ooh, got it. Isn't that cool? Yeah. So for you, <clears throat> when you started to realize that, you started to notice, okay, it was the poverty, chastity, and obedience. And you were willing to do all that, that then led to the priesthood. Yeah. And I, I, I don't even think I, I didn't even understand the evangelical councils at that point. Yeah. And you know, the right caveats here, I don't live any of these three very well. I just don't, I want to live all three of them better, but my, the way I would have said it. And I remember thinking this at CU Boulder. Yeah. I just felt like I'm just supposed to belong to Jesus. Yeah. And I didn't even know what that meant. And the only category I really had back then was kind of, well, I guess I go be a priest, but I remember going to seminary and thinking, I don't know if this is going to work. I don't know if I'm supposed to be a priest, but Jesus, I'm yours. 
I feel like it's a natural walk of like, if you decide that, Jesus, I'm yours. So what does that mean? You start to read the Bible. You join a Bible study. Your Bible study leads you to church. Your church leads you. And the next thing you know, you're signed up for, like for you, you were signed up for focus. Like, yeah. And or, so then you get to that point and it's all of a sudden you meet a woman, you start to be introduced to the priesthood. It's like a natural walk in a way. Yeah. Once you decide to give your life and love God, it seems kind of like a natural progression that will figure itself out as you go. It's torturous going through it. Well, this is what Balthazar calls the second division of the states of life, though. So, yeah. so once you move in, so that the first division, you have the way of the commandments and the way of the councils. Yep. But then if you go to the, that side where you have the councils, the second division on that side of the branch is, are you going to be hold an office in the church? Or are you just going to be like a monk or a brother? Or are you going to be a consecrated single where, and by the way, I think that this is something that we massively need in the church right now. We need people that the source of fertility in the church, how can the church be fruitful? You know, you and I am sitting in meetings and we're like, how do we reach people for the gospel? How do we yep. do a better job of being hospitable? Yep. Uh, my shout out goes to the Hedbergs. I was with Brian and Lara Hedberg. Yes. They're awesome. And we were talking about how Protestants are so good at hospitality. That's right. And all those things matter. But the real source of fertility and fruitfulness in the church is not that we did something really, really well. What, what Balthazar would say and what the church would say, what the real source of fertility is, is Mary's surrender and perfect love. That's a billion times more powerful than we yeah. had a really nice, friendly face at the desk. Got it. The way Christianity is born is not because we, had, we did things well in terms of worldly kind of things. Those things are good and fine. What made the church fruitful was not that Mary was like, I've got this plan and I'm going to like have a really nice house. And if I, if I do my daily prayers, then God will come. Yeah. What Mary gave was a yes that was total. Here's everything. Yep. And what Jesus did to save the world was he gave a yes to God the Father that was everything. And so the fruitfulness of the church, I believe me, like Father John Nepple and I, when we were in seminary, one of our big jokes was, uh, I'm going to say the S word here, so mom, cover your ears. But the, the S word we used to say when we were in seminary, could we just do something that doesn't suck? Yeah, that's right. Like, let's, let's get to that place. Can we just have something in the church that doesn't suck? Totally. And I'm all for that. But, the, but at root, the, the church's life is not, that was a great homily, that was a great piece of music. At root, the church's life is the love of God. And it's that Mary was able to say yes. And not like, yeah, I guess I'll do that. But from the depths of her soul, from her immaculate heart, Mary said yes to God in a way that said, here's everything. And let me say one more thing, because I don't want to leave this out, and then I'll, I'll stop talking. If you're married, which most of you are either going to end in the married state of life, or you're already there, you're called to this too. And it looks, it's going to look a little different from my life. I'm called to a more radical form of this, which again, I feel at all the time. But if you're married, you and Stephanie, you were Christians. You were born. You're not just like normal people who happen to be Christians. This, yep. is, this is one of the biggest problems in the church right now is people think, well, I'm a married person. I'm a normal guy. I'm a normal woman. And yeah, I'm Catholic. No, 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 no. If you're a Christian, you were born from the wounded heart of Christ on the, on the cross. And you are married. That's your state of life. Yep. So you and Stephanie you two are called to have a different relationship to, to money and material things yep. than a normal married couple. But poverty. Yeah. You guys, you guys are called to poverty according to your state of life. Yep. I should live, and you know my life, <clears throat> I, should, I should live this more radically than you guys, which I don't live this more radically, but I need to work on that. Um, but anyway, you guys are called to live it differently than other people. Yep. Other people are going to say, oh my gosh, like we got to save up for that retirement home you know, in Hawaii. And, we've, and they worship money and they've got to keep up with it. The right. neighbor's got a Tesla <clears throat> and whatever else it is. 
you and Stephanie are called to have a different attitude towards material things because your treasure is not your second home in Aspen. Your treasure is Jesus. Yeah. Same thing with chastity. So you're not called to celibacy the way I am, but within your marriage, you guys are going to live chastity. Look at how the world around us, you said it earlier, you know, if things don't work in your marriage, just go have an affair. Yep. No, like you guys live differently than that. Mm -hmm. And your, and and your, your, your sexuality as a couple, it's called to be integrated into your love for each other. So you're, you're called to chastity within your state of life. It's not going to look the same as mine, but it's going to be there for sure. Yep. And then finally, obedience. Marriage is supposed to do this. And, I, and you can speak to this, but when you get married, you become obedient to your spouse and to your children. Yep. And so my Curtis Martins, he says to me, sometimes when I see him, I miss him. Curtis will say, he's like, FB, you have to take vows to become what marriage makes me naturally. He's like, oh, trust me. He's like, I am poor. He's like, my kids make me very poor. I am chaste. And for all you young engaged men out there, young engaged men think that their libido is going to be satisfied just like constantly. That's right. And I always kind of laugh at them. I'm yeah. like, call me, <laughs> yeah. call me in five years. Let me know how that's going. And then obedience. And so if you're, if you're married, you know, those three things are going to come out in a state of life. And so in the married state of life and in the, in the life of perfection, what really matters is how well do we live those states? Mm-hmm. And so for me, you know, there's a constant call to live it better as there is for you, right? Yeah. And I, from what I've learned in my two minutes of marriage, but uh, what Steph and I have gone through is in that um, process of it all, Learning that God is number one. Yeah. As soon as I got married, God is number one. Steph is number two. Jeeds and the kids will be three. Yep. Blah, 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 blah. And then at some point it's me. Yep. Before marriage, it was me, then God. And that was my journey. But then it became God, then me. And then I had to learn how to like become obedient to that and, and understand that relationship. The best thing for Gianna is a good relationship with Steph. Yeah. So Steph has to come first and, yep. and kind of learning that piece. Um, and, and it's not easy to walk just like the priesthood's not. Yep. Um, I think that as you've been saying this, a couple of quick questions. Um, so Mary made this ultimate yes, which yes. as you're Her saying fiat. this is so obviously remarkable because it's before Jesus, right? Yep. So the big change happens when Jesus is pierced on the cross. Yes. She made this before that. Yep. The world changes. And when you say that a big portion of the church um, percentage was virgin. Yes. Kind of lack of knowledge here. Um, Like Simon was married, right? Simon Peter, yes. Yes. Uh Yep, he was. So as the apostle, like as you say when they're virgins, does that become the chase that are still married? Yeah, like... Yeah, so there's a couple words for it that help here. Yeah. So there's... So celibacy means no marriage. Okay. Continence means I've been married, but sexual activity within marriage ceases. What did Simon Peter do? Continence. And so the early tradition of the church is that if you're going to be a priest, you have to embrace continence. And and this is a longer story, but in the 11th century, the church mandated that a priest be celibate. Which a lot of cap non Catholics don't understand this. Yeah, they don't like understand why, this. Why is this important? And the reason was because we weren't living it. Got it. And so it, it would be much harder for you and Steph as a married couple if you said, Hey, God's calling me to priesthood. We're going to live as brother and sister, is one way to say that. Yep. That's really hard to do. Yeah. And that's actually harder in a lot of ways than starting out celibate. So, so one of the teachings, like in, like in Catholicism, people talk about changing teachings. Yep. The actual teaching for, for the priesthood has really been continence. And so the church could change this. The church could allow married priests. And this is where, this is a deep topic because you know, their podcast on this. Yes. The church could allow married priests. It does in some circumstances. There's a, there's a priest here in Denver, Father Doug Grandin, who's a great priest who was an Anglican priest, became a Catholic and he's a married priest. Now the church ordained him 
but they don't allow very many of those because it tends to confuse the faithful. They don't understand right. these things sometimes. So, uh, consonant, remind me again. So, continence means I'm married, but then essentially my life is a, a, in terms of my sexual life as a married yes. person stops and I live abstinence from this point. Got forward. it. That's so, continence. So, the Catholic Church will allow a married priest, but they're living in this relationship that's And different. I honestly don't know if we're enforcing that these days, but yeah. that's, that's what I would say the tradition okay. says. Okay. The tradition is continence, and, and this isn't too controversial. I, yeah. So. No, I, I think it's a, a whole nother, I mean, that's a very common question I feel like you get asked, is like, why can't priests get married? Yeah. And, and you have a very beautiful and explanation we, we into do, it. And, and, and this is, we're out of time today, but one we should do again soon. Yes. A follow-up question to this, and this is one that Protestants don't get. And it's, it's a very deep question and it leads to deep discussions whenever I bring this up. And it's a little controversial. Yeah. But one of the things you have to ask yourself is why, if Jesus is the new Adam, he's the high priest, he's the new Adam, Jesus is celibate. Yep. He does not marry, despite what Dan Brown says. Mary is the new Eve, which scripture shows us in, what are you laughing at? Is that a Da Vinci Code reference? No, you're thinking of Mary Magdalene. Oh, yeah. I mean, but, but the Mary, author, Dan Brown? Yeah, Dan nice, Brown. Nice, okay. Dan Brown doesn't know what he's talking about. Yeah. That, that, you're right. That was a deep Vinci Code reference. Mary is the new Eve, which John's gospel predominantly shows us more than any other place. And St. Saint, uh, Saint Irenaeus in the second century makes it very explicit and talks about this. But if, if, if Jesus and Mary, if they're so important, uh, obviously print Jesus infinitely more than Mary, but Mary's yes is massively important. And they're, if they're the new Eve and the new Adam, why is it so important they're both celibate? And Baldazar talks about this in this book. So maybe we, we can do that That's, for another podcast. Maybe it's a part two. That could be a part two. Yeah. Why, why does that matter? And Protestants underplay this. It's a blind spot they have. I'm sure I have plenty of blind spots too, but that's one of their blind spots is they, they just don't make a big deal. Well, they're like, you know, well, he's God. So it'd be kind of weird for somebody to marry him. Totally. It's like, no, so there's kind a of, reason. Kind of, kind of weird to be making out with God. Yeah. Like, <laughs> so I think they just think on that level, there's a much deeper reason why Jesus is celibate. Oh, part so. two. We've got the next one lined up. I think it's, I mean, good old Balt- Baltazar for the win. Um, and it is so interesting. I think the biggest takeaway there is the fact that if once you commit to those things, then it, you know, the, the poverty, chastity, and obedience, and like in your journey, journey that will put you on the path to figure it out versus like this yeah. reverse engineering of like, should I be consecrated? Should I be a nun? Should I be, a, yeah. you know, yeah, those a, are, a those priest. are offices and well, at least yeah. the, the, the priest is an office. And the, the big question is not, should I be a priest? The big question is, am I called to give my whole life to God in a radical way? Not in the way that every Christian's called to do it, but in a way that says everything. Yes. I'm called to be a Holocaust. Everything is called to belong to Jesus. Do you think, one last uh, question, the poverty example in the early church, Um, um, just, do you think it was easier to give that up back then than it is now? That's an interesting question. I think think it might be, you know, um, uh, John Cashin, who's one of the fathers of monasticism, he says that. He talks about how some people they came from a more pampered life. So it's actually harder for them to enter the monastery and we need to be gentler on them. Yeah. And whereas some of us just lived the common poverty that the masses live and it's just easier for us. We're more used to it. Yeah. And so I do, I do think there is something to that, but I still think it's something that was never easy. And we're, we're called to, to be a Holocaust. Like we're called to give up things to lo- out of love for God. But the point is not, the emphasis isn't on the sacrifice. The emphasis is on the love. Yeah. I just feel like it's, uh, which, yes, um, as you were saying it, I was like, man, it'd be a lot easier to give up everything if I lived in a barn outside of the <laughs> stone walls that. of Rome, you know, yeah. versus like Caesar would have a more difficult decision to make. That's correct. Um, and, and now just in this world we live in, it's a harder sell to Which is maybe why the rich Mother young Teresa. man, when Jesus in Matthew 19 and Mark 10, when he calls a rich young man. The rich young man goes away sad because he had great possessions. Yeah. And maybe that's why it was harder for him maybe than Peter and James and John or fishermen. That's right. So. That's right. There's something there. Um, Okay. okay. I got to run. Yep. 
Like Thanks us, everybody for listening. Share us. Um, we have a lot of fun stuff coming up and rant at lordsdenver.org. Peace. Peace.